thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, this is our first podcast for 2021. This podcast is all about the man and the legend that is Sir John Moore. Um, January the 16th is the anniversary of the Battle of Crona and also, sadly, the Battle of Sir John Moore's death. Um, we could go on about how great this man is and his legacy. And I've got three exceptional guests. I'm going to start with, first of all, I'm going to introduce uh, Charles Blackmore, Captain Charles Blackmore, ex-RGJ. Are you cap- was you Captain when you, you, you gave up? No, the I, po- I, pulled out as a, I pulled out as a major. As Major Charles Blackmore. Resigned, um, resigned the commission early. <laughs> <laughs> How to describe him is it's pretty hard because it's, it's basically um, adventurer, punk sort of, I think he's a secret agent. He doesn't say anything. He won't admit it. Um, we've also got with us two gentlemen who are, uh, one of them is trustee, Vince Law, all the way from Somerset. And we've got Jamie Hinton all the way from down on the South Coast. Now, what is unique is these three, Charles, Vince and Jamie, are are unique, mainly because they have all marched the route of Sir John Moore's, the March of Death, as they called it, in 1808, 1809, in that terrible winter. They have done the march to uh, Karana along the original Roman road and followed in the footsteps of Sir John Moore and obviously the British Army and the 95th. Now, Charles, you did it as Royal Green Jackets? Yeah, so um, I was serving in Belfast at the time uh, with the 1st Battalion, the Green Jackets, and I was on my second residential tour of Northern Ireland, so I was looking for something different to do. And I realised that um, coming up in December of 1983, it would be the 175th anniversary of the commencing of the retreat to Corona. I've always been very interested in the regimental history and in military history. So I thought that what we would do is retrace the route of the 95th, the rear guard, from the ruined monastery at Sahagun to La Coruña. And when I thought about the plan and realized it was the 175th anniversary, I was able to put a team together of riflemen from the 1st and the 3rd Battalion, the Royal Green Jackets, and we dressed in replica uniforms of the 95th, and that's what we set out to do. And you you did it, if I'm right in thinking, you did it day by day, because remember we spoke about this in 2008, and this is when we really just started the Shoncliffe Trust. Yeah, we, we, that, that, that was good and bad. Um, no, so for example, at one stage, um, as we got towards Lugo, I think we covered um, about 50 miles in less than 24 hours. That's when we were really pegging it. And the French were very hard on our heels and, uh, uh, in 1808. Um, so, you, you know, oh, sorry, it would be 1809 then, because towards the end of the retreat. We started on, no, dawn on Christmas Day, that's right, uh, which is when the retreat started, or when the rear guard left the monastery. And so by the time we got to Lugo, we would be in January, and we had to really move fast over the mountains uh, for what that stretch. But luckily, uh, Sir John Moore decided to stand and fight at Lugo. Um, and the engagement took two days. So we could stop and rest for two days, although we didn't have much time for rest because from the beginning of the um, expedition, as we called it, until the end, the support from the Spanish grew literally day by day. 
um, and we had the newspapers covering us until by the time we marched into Corona, uh, we had become heroes of Spain and Los Royals Jacques Verdes, as they called us. Um, we were fettered everywhere we went to the extent that as we were marching in two files, it was the file uh, because you marched on the right hand side of the road into the traffic. Um, the, the file on the left hand side, I was having to get them to change files so that the people on the inside facing the cars were waving and they got so tired of waving the whole time that we had to keep on changing them over because we got so much amazing attention from the Spanish and um, they loved the fact that we were there um, commemorating effectively um, what was, although it was a retreat, it was a very honourable one, the first Dunkirk whereby we um, left with the British army and we came back into Portugal and finally evicted Napoleon's men from Spain and his brother from the throne. And that was, for the Spanish, a very, very um, significant event. Obviously, taking inspiration from that. Vince, you, you had a reason for being there, didn't you? Oh, that's correct, yes. Um, I, I used to do uh, family history research in the warm and dry in sort of... Uh, in record offices and in Mormon chapels and all this kind of thing and uh, eventually came across um, a four times great-grandfather who uh, was on a census as a, as a Waterloo pensioner, which I hadn't realised what that was. And then I found out that indeed, just like Chelsea pensioners today, it was uh, somebody who was on a pension having fought at Waterloo. Uh, so after a bit more research, found out that he was in the uh, first battalion of the uh, 95th rifles during the uh, retreat to corona nice so i was very keen to um to get involved with the uh, with the march when they started organizing it what started off as a plan for a quite a large group of us to go it basically fell to tatters and jamie said well i'm going anyway i've already booked my plane ticket and i said well i've got to go it's the 200th anniversary of my ancestor doing it so i bought my plane ticket and we uh, literally met for the second time in the departure hall at Heathrow, flew over, and the rest is our particular history. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, I'm right to think you did it in a kill, didn't you? Yes, correct. Yeah. So what was the weather, for, to the three of you, what was the weather like in, in all your times doing it? Because Vince and Jamie, where did you start off your walk? We started in Astorga, which is about, I suppose, about 100 and... 87 miles from La Coruña. Because obviously they talk about at the time it was the worst storm to hit uh, northwest Spain uh, in 1809. And it's ironic that they've just had a huge dump of snow uh, across Spain uh, this year, this Christmas. And I was reading the papers today about how they're, they're trying to dig out Madrid, which you never think would suffer from snow. And most people don't think snow is is a big thing in Spain, but obviously you're going over the, the highlands. Is it, is it the Cantabrian Mountains? Well, we, when we got to Osobrero, it, it was really heavy snow. We had to walk to uh, a blizzard. We had planned to uh, rest at an albergue at the foot of the mountain, but it was all closed, so we had no option but just to carry on. It was all uphill, so we were like, pretty tired at the top. Vince, I know you did... Well, both of you did it in, in period kit and you did it in period shoes as well. Charles, who put together your uniform? No, we, we did it at the museum. I think actually, uh, to be honest, I think we had um, uh, a quartermaster who rustled up um, some of the wives uh, and got their sewing machines out and made up the uniforms. 
Um, <laughs> and we had replica knapsacks. Uh, the only concession that we made was that, uh, because actually we didn't have the chance to make any boots. So I admire you, Vince, going in um, a pair of boots because uh, we had uh, good old fashioned army DMS boots, um, which probably weren't very comfortable. But talking of boots, um, I always enjoyed the, well, I didn't enjoy it because I thought about how hard it must have been. Uh, I was always curious as to why in the famous painting of the retreat, some of the riflemen barefoot, and then you read about them struggling over the mountain passes in the snow bare feet. And then if you read right, Recollections of Riflemen Harris, um, he describes how the night before the retreat in the monastery of Sahagung, where we started, which is where, as I said, the rifles started their retreat. Um, the quartermaster coming around um, offering um, people to exchange their boots and get a new pair of boots. And a lot of the Portuguese veterans whose boots had been well worn in by then did exchange their boots um, and got a new pair, knowing that they're going to have to walk about, you know, five, 500 or so miles, whatever the distance was, to over the mountains. Um, but then the boots fell apart in the snow and the rain very quickly. And it turned out that the quartermaster of the army at the time had done a side deal with some cobblers in London. And they'd used uh, a sort of cardboard instead of leather on these boots. So these riflemen lost their well-worn in boots, um, which they had been campaigning in Portugal for before the army came into Spain. And you have to really feel for them in the harshness of that winter, um, many of them walking barefoot through the mountains because their boots had disintegrated. Well, Vince, you've, you've got a fantastic photograph of your, your boots or your shoes after you literally put holes in both soles, I think. They were sort of new before we started. And just before the um, going up Othobrero, uh, we stopped the night before. A very nice couple who normally sort of run a, a little albergue, but um, they were closed because this is obviously the... Uh, sort of the Christmas celebration sort of time, but um, they saw the state of us. We'd just come over sort of the uh, cross feral and um, we were trudging through the snow and they thought they were being very kind to me by uh, putting my boots in the, uh, in the warming, the plate warming side of their arga overnight <laughs> to dry them out. Unfortunately, being real leather, it just meant that by the end of the next day, th this is the state of them come the end. <laughs> And we still had sort of. Did you have to go after that? Uh, quite a bit still to, still to do. So uh, yeah, it was uh, as Jamie says, it was blowing a blizzard as we were getting up there. My boots were falling to pieces. We were <laughs> trudging up an extra bit of mile, a uh, couple of kilometres because it was always five more kilometres, honest. And uh, yeah, it was getting dark. The snow was falling. My boots were falling to pieces, and it was starting to become a little too close to the real thing for uh, for comfort. The, the reactions that you were getting from the locals, obviously uh, the first trip up was, was got a uh, huge support. I know between the three of you, I'll go around. What are your memorable, memorable moments of that? I think two, two, two memories. Um, one was that when we um, walked into the town of Villafranca, which is right up high in the Galicia mountains, um, James and Vince, you'll remember it. Um, beautiful town. We arrived on New Year's Eve at the same time as the rifles arrived in Villafranca. 
And as we went through the streets in the snow, the snow was coming down hard. And this car came very slowly through the snow. And they stopped and they asked if we were the Royal Green Jackets. In Spanish, we said yes. And they said, well, you must follow us. And they led us through into this courtyard of a castle. And we went inside this magnificent castle. And it's the castle that was owned by the 10th Marquis of Romana. Now, the Marquis of Romana was the Spanish nobleman who fought on the side of the British against the French. He was the only person who really led the insurrection of the Spanish irregular forces against the French and became quite a hero. And the person who led us into the castle was his great, great, great granddaughter. And I always remember watching uh, the rifleman standing there thawing out from the snow by this huge fire with great balloons of brandy in their hands, with their <laughs> stovepipe hats under one arm, looking so amazing, these 18 and 19 year old riflemen, so proud of what they were doing. And the Marquis of Romana's great, great, great granddaughter asked one of them um, what the significance of the um, expedition was. And he said, we're recreating the route exactly as they did it 175 years ago, um, to the same timings, the same distances. And she said, well, I, I hope you don't re recreate it too realistically. She said, because 175 years ago, your army came through and plundered my castle and raped all my staff. <laughs> so we said, no, don't worry, we'll leave it there. Uh, we, won't be, we won't be taking it that seriously. Uh, but that was amazing. So that's one memory. I think that the, the second memory, um, in all seriousness, and I'm sure that Vince and James um, will share the same one, is we followed the history of the whole way. I'd researched it in detail. I had um, all the accounts of various riflemen. We had Surtees, we had Rifleman Harris. I had all the different other accounts. So we literally lived the history of it. And the further we marched and the more tired we got, and when our support vehicle was taken out on a mountain pass, and we then had to swap our knapsacks for our, our army Bergens and carry everything ourselves, and we were manning up 60 pounds going through the mountains in the snow, um, we held the most enormous respect for our fellow riflemen, forefathers, who conducted themselves in such an exemplary manner on this retreat. And the Light Division, as you'll know, arrived in Karana after the battle, having lost more men than any other division in the retreat. And that was down to the fortitude of the riflemen and the leadership um, along the route. And they had done it, not only having to march the distances they marched on meager rations, many of them barefoot, but fighting the French off at the same time. And it really brought it home about how tough they were and how much the Spanish owed us that debt of having saved the British army so that we could come back and then in the following campaigns, remove the French from Spain. Jamie, what was, what was your thoughts? It was just a surreal experience of just leaving all normal life behind and uh, just wearing kit every day and just doing that march, whatever it was, getting lost in the snow, we got lost quite a few times. Uh, there were lots of lodging houses which were closed, so we had to keep pushing on. One day we did 40 kilometres, and I remember that. 
so 12 years ago was your birthday and we phoned you up from a bar at lunchtime we were walking I, from i remember that lugo to friol which is a weird place at the end of the celebrations for the bicentenary it was just really amazing thing to do but the one thing i remember we took a wrong turning somewhere and we just in the middle of snowy mountains and we saw a farmer and we tried to tell him where he wanted to go and he just pointed his fat finger over the other side of a mountain <laughs> well Vince obviously we'd love to know more about the story of, of your relative so tell us about that about him and also then you were dressed as him you had the same rank that must have been yeah I mean I'm very fortunate in sort of uh, achieving the rank of of well now corporal which he was at Waterloo but he was still only a, a rifleman um, back in the retreat to Corona uh, we were told that we'd no way be able to sort of take our, our rifles with us because we'd be crossing so many different administrative regions and trying to sort of organise the passes and what have you. But um, we did take our, um, well, Jamie's bayonet and me, my sword. And um, that caused a few bits of consternation along the, along the way, I must say. In fact, uh, towards the end, um, we had the, uh, the local sort of Garda Civilia sort of wandering around we were having breakfast in a uh, in a cafe uh i know not very really <laughs> in keeping with the times but um basically you could see these guys sort of wandering up and down and then one of them looked through saw us and sort of got on his radio his officer sort of came along came in and we was like oh oh dear this is it we're gonna get into trouble now because we you know i'm wandering around with 23 inches of steel strapped to my side and um it turned out that um he was just wanted to know what we were doing and he was so supportive of what we were doing. But like I say, I definitely had a panicky moment there for a little while. Quite something. Absolutely something. I mean, I was gutted, um, but like it not to be able to go along. But at the same time, what came out for us is we started doing Corona Day um, at Sandgate and that has been um, the legacy out of it. And we we got a lot of support from the locals and locals still look to it as part of their calendar of events. Um, and it kicks off every year. Obviously this year, it's nice that we can do it on Saturday the 16th. I mean, I know the story, obviously I know on the 11th of January is when Moore actually went into Corona. It's when he first saw Corona. And I think every day on my birthday now, every day I think about him at the head of the column, looking at what would have been salvation because of, Obviously, just getting up that mountain pass and fighting off, uh, fighting off the French to get to that point was something amazing. Um, yeah, it was exhilarating, and and you know we were very excited by it. But unfortunately, because there were, I think, ten of us, two officers and eight riflemen, so we were quite a large attraction. Um, and because we'd had a lot of publicity along the way, what we didn't expect as we came to that final bridge on the outskirts of Corona to the south. Um, there was a fleet of white Mercedes-Benz to, to meet us and take us to the tomb of Sir John Moore. And that we didn't want to get in the cars because we'd walked every step of the way from the retreat, from Sahagung down to Mallorca, down to Castro Gonzalo, up to Benevente, and then all the way up towards Astorga and on from there. And then suddenly we were cheated for the last, you know, five miles. We had to get into these white Mercedes cars um, because all the dignitaries had turned out. The mayor of Corona was there. We stood outside the house where um, Sir John Moore had died, and I was asked to unveil the plaque 
um, saying that this was where uh, Sir John Moore had died in that house. And um, then we had a big ceremony at the tomb with the Spanish army had gone to the museum and dug out the original uniforms, original uniforms of 1808. And they formed an honor guard at the tomb of Sir John Moore. And there was this massive ceremony. So, um, and then this huge party banquet with some of Franco's generals and all um, the spoiling of magnificent food and wines. Um, and then we ended up in a nightclub in the early hours of the morning um, with the Spanish um, shouting us about what about uh, Las Malvinas? What about the Falklands? And it started to get a little bit dodgy then. So we had to beat a retreat. Oh, oh, that just sounds pure rifleman escapades. I mean, it really <laughs> does. I mean, and I can see, you know, 1809, they turn up and there's a load of uh, horse-drawn Landau's waiting for the rifles to pick them up. None of them would go, you know what, we just walk the last bit. None of them, all right. And yes, if you've ever read Kincaid, you just know that any chance the rifles would be in a little nightclub somewhere in... <laughs> somewhere in up a mountain in spain that's such a rifle thing to do it's absolutely there's a certain symmetry to it that's a certain again vince and jamie uh you guys walking in was it quite emotional was it you know was it uh just a relief what was it, what were your thoughts well we were supposed to meet up with uh somebody for a battle for a tour of the church it's elvinas but we, we got late so we missed it and it's raining so we just ended up really at the tomb of Sir John Moore. Then we met some very academic women who had been writing a book about him. And then we went to the uh, the Green Jackets bar. It was yes, rather uh, rather fittingly found a, a bar called the the Royal Green Jacket and yeah. struck up a relationship there and spent a lot of time in there over the following couple of days. Again, the question would be to all three of you, old bones, and certainly a few years later. Would you, would you ever do it again? Oh, no, 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 I'm game on. I mean, I, um, I was supposed to be trying to climb the Matterhorn last summer, but unfortunately, because of COVID, it didn't. I'd fallen off it two years ago, so <laughs> I was quite keen to go back. Um, so I'm training up for it this summer. But now I'd be very happy to walk it. Um, it would be great to do. I'll tell you, I, I'm gutted I didn't do it. And obviously, after that, we, we did lots of events in Spain. And um, I think the one that I, I liked the most was the... Battle at the Coa and along the action, this path on, the action on the Coa. Yeah. Well, yes, it, it, was, it was an action, <laughs> not a battle. I mean, we, we just decided to move the right side of the river rather than be on the wrong side of the river. Yeah. I mean, that, because that was so much, I mean, that was, that hadn't changed. The same walls yeah. were there, the same bridge was there. Nothing had changed. There was no reason for it. And that I always found. Um, I think one of my favourite, obviously, you know, we, we've done events on Salamanca is, is very similar. The guys have done Victoria and we've done Waterloo and things like that. But the, the Coa I'd love to do. I haven't been to that part of Spain. I'd love to go and see it. Uh, again, Vince, what happened to your relative when they came back? Because he came back to Shoncliffe, didn't he? Eventually. Um, I've got his uh, disembarkation papers, uh, well, for the, uh, for the company when they arrived back in England. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's a very sobering read to see how many of the company um, were lost or missing after the Battle of Cacabeos and at the, the final Battle of Venus. 
And, uh, you know, it's very sobering when you think that, you know, the kind of percentage that didn't make it back. And if he was one of them, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, um, but no, he was, um, he was left at the, uh, the naval hospital to recuperate for a bit. He was quite badly knocked about and then eventually had to make his own way back to, to Shorncliffe. Because he, he ended up then in training the 2nd and 3rd Battalions and then ended up fighting on the battlefield of Waterloo. So he fought with two of Britain's greatest generals, Sir John Moore and Wellington. Unbelievable story. Vince, where did you get your... Um, you've got research on your family history. Did you, did it, was there any sort of documents left or have you just managed to piece it together from records? The army keep every piece of paper forever <laughs> um <laughs> so it's all at the um the uh, records office um you can you can get the sort of quarterly pay returns yeah or every single uh battalion of every every sort of uh all the way back to the napoleonic so you know i was able to sort of track his whole progress through his his career and like i say picking up various other bits and pieces of the disembarkation papers where they sort of got off the ships when they reached back home in England. Um, he f- fought with uh, Wellington at the uh, at Copenhagen and there's a little bit of paper from a solicitor's office sort of because they actually all got their um, their share of the booty for capturing the fleet. And um, his Waterloo medal, um, that's presumably not in the family. Uh, well, my, I'm descended from his second son, so whether it went down the other leg of the, leg of the, uh, the family, I have no idea. But I've um, been trying to sort of track it down. Um, my wife, uh, one Christmas, very kindly got me a, uh, a modern replica marked up with all of his details and the uh, corona clasp. But that was the only uh, clasp he got for the, M- sorry, the Waterloo medal and the MGS. Uh, he never actually ended up going back out to, to Spain. Uh, presumably, he was just in that much of a state after the retreat. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, by the time he was well enough, he was then sort of moved into the second and was at depot for most of the time. I, I just find it fascinating how you guys have done it. Uh, absolutely amazing stories that the three of you have told. Guys, can I just say thank you very much for coming on tonight and talking about it i've to have the three of you here is quite, it's quite something it's it it's you know i'm absolutely in awe of you guys you you're amazing you guys have did it thank you so much charles thank you very much for coming well, on. thank you for your tenacity and your enthusiasm it is an inspiration to listen to you thanks very thank much you. chris thank you charles we will catch up there's so much we want to we want to chat about vince mate all I can say, uh, lovely hearing your voice and uh, best wishes to family. Jamie, hopefully I'll see you on Saturday. We'll see, uh, along with government guidelines, if we can do something. I'd hate to miss it. I know the rifles do something for John Moore every year in St. Paul's Cathedral. I would have thought they will probably try and do something this year, if, even if it's just one of them. But the hero that is Sir John Moore and the heroes that followed him, um, I'm glad they are not forgotten. I'm glad we talked about them tonight. Thank you, everybody, for putting together tonight, and we will talk soon. In no man's land, together.